Listen, I gotta come clean with you about something. What? So I told you about my brother, yeah? I told you about the program he's forced to attend and how he shouldn't be there. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Do you understand that? No. Something happened. I don't know exactly what. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. He could get killed in there. Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast. And in the house today, it is April. We are diving into the world of A24 films, uh, aptly dubbed A24 April. And with me today, again, Nate from All Things Reviewed is joining me. Nate, how are you this morning? I am having a great time. One might even say a good time. Wow, wow, a good time. What a reference to introduce the podcast because, yes, we are diving into the 2017, I want to say hit, but it wasn't really a hit. I feel like it's gained a lot of cult status now, but we are talking about good time. Uh, Nate, initial impressions, initial thoughts. How are you feeling going into today's podcast on good time? Um, I'm really excited. Uh, this is one of my favorite films, uh, not just one of my favorite A24 films. I, it was, um, I guess, I kind of just want to detail my experience with it. It's one that's changed over time for me, mm-hmm. uh, my like impression uh, an opinion on it. I first saw it when it came out in theaters, um, which I, I don't know. I saw it and I guess I just wasn't ready for it. I was a little, I can't remember, I wasn't like young for it, but I hadn't really dove deep into like art house cinema yet. So the kind of abrasiveness and almost nihilistic parts of it really just didn't sit right with me when I saw it. And I, I hated it. I actually... Would, oh, I would I would have put it on my worst of the year list, and I think I I think <laughs> I did on my Instagram page, and in it's like infancy because I just was basically posting there for my friends. But then, like a year later, I watched it again, and I was like, "Why did I not like this? This is amazing!" And then uh, I actually watched it a third time this year after the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl was not a good time, and I was like, "For the memes, <laughs> for the memes, I'm gonna watch Good Time." And I was like, yeah, okay, so this is just uh, flat out one of the best films of the past uh, five years. It's incredible. It is incredible. I, that's a great story to tell because I think that experience may mimic a lot of people's experience with this movie where yeah. not really what people expect. I did not see it in theaters, but I remember seeing the trailer for it and kind of being excited for it. When I watched it the first time, I think I also had that. I liked it, but wasn't like totally blown away by it. And then I watched it a second time, and at that point, I was like, wow, okay, this is kind of something different, and I really, really love it. Um, yeah. There's a lot to talk about in terms of Good Time and the Safdie brothers in general. So I am also very excited. Uh, let's just jump straight into Good Time. And now, our feature presentation. Released on May 25th, 2017 at Cannes, and then the United States, August 11th of 2017. Directed by, as I mentioned... Josh and Benny Safdie are better known as the Safdie brothers. They're also known for their big release of Uncut Gems. They've had some smaller films before Good Time, but Good Time really kind of put them on the map. And then Uncut Gems has kind of really shot them into the big stardom of Hollywood. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot from them in the very near future. We'll have some Uncut Gem conversations later, I'm sure. Good Time's cast, Robert Pattinson plays Constantine or Connie Nikas. Benny Safdie plays Nicholas Nick Nikas. Those are the two main characters here. Yeah. I will say Bobby Duress plays Ray. He's the other criminal who gets involved in all this. Mm-hmm. Talia Webster plays Crystal. And then I put Jennifer Jason Lee as Corey Elman. She's the girlfriend of Connie, I believe. Yeah, she's like a A24 regular. She's always playing she is. She big is. parts in A24 films. Uh, I, you know, and you actually brought up something I forgot to mention. I, I do want to clarify what A24 films kind of means for anybody who's listening and doesn't really understand why we've made this month kind of A24 themed. I guess the best way to put it, you kind of mentioned art house movie in the beginning uh, when describing Good Time. A24 has kind of become that like quote unquote art house production company where they've put out mm-hmm. some smaller films that uh, lower budget, but they're considered art house or indie. You know, they've grown a lot since their inception, uh, a lot, a lot. And now they're kind of just known as that indie studio that produces Mm -hmm. 
movies that will make you cry or like super weird movies that will yeah. just make you kind of feel weird. So, you know, not to say they've made only great movies. Uh, we've had this conversation before we recorded. They definitely have some movies out there that aren't great. Mm-hmm. But ever since I would say like 2015 and 2016, they've kind of put out a lot of heaters and Good Time was one of them. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think honestly, like what makes them great is their hands-off approach. They basically will just say like, we'll give you this budget to fund your vision as long as it can fit within this tight and efficient budget and shooting schedule. And we'll kind of just, they just give filmmakers carte blanche to like do what they want and let them cook. And it's when you got talented filmmakers, letting talented filmmakers cook is like one of the best things that you could do. And really that's just kind of how they've sustained success. I mean, in 2016, they reached the zenith of filmmaking culture with their best picture win for Moonlight. And that really kind of just changed the landscape of filmmaking. And now, obviously, they're still an independent studio, but an independent studio with the Best Picture winner is nothing to sniff at. <laughs> exactly. And they, and they continue to produce movies that are being nominated. I mean, this year, Minari mm-hmm. is nominated for Best Picture. Definitely a front runner. I'm not sure if it's the winner this year, but definitely a front runner. And, you know, you, you said it perfectly. They give people, filmmakers, the freedom to do what they want. You know, they're giving a lot of movie ideas that typically you know maybe big big budget big production companies wouldn't give you know the light of day yeah they're actually giving them a voice and letting them be heard and that's turning out to be really successful for them so that is why we had this month dedicated to them and that's why we're talking about good time but let's jump back into good time for sure budget two million dollars kind of a testament to what we just said Mm -hmm. box office gross 4.1 million dollars so not bad for a small indie film like this uh, has a runtime of an hour and 41 minutes, which we might get into later, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, critic score 92%, audience score 81%, consensus, a visual treat filled out by consistently stellar work from Robert Pattinson. Good Time is a singularity, distinctive crime drama offering far more than the usual genre thrills. Immediate reactions to these critic score, audience score? I actually feel this one is really accurate to the quality of the film, which I know I disagreed a little bit on the heat, (laughs) the the heat rankings. But uh, no, I feel like this is, you know, the critics liked it more than the audience, which I think makes sense to me. You know, again, it's more of an art house, again, indie film, so it's not meant for the masses. And that 81%, I feel like has gone up because... I remember it being a little bit lower like when it came out just because I mean like I was one of the people that probably left a bad review on the site at the time I I, I think I used to post <laughs> on there I, I don't know I don't remember but you know because the, the artistry and talent on display is undeniable which is like you know it appeals to critics they immediately see that and they're like okay like there's substance to this there's the style is something I like and but the the, the film is a pressure cooker and that just wanes on an audience that might have just seen it because robert pattinson was in it <laughs> yes you know? wow so great point great point i think we'll get more of this conversation later i i definitely agree with your assessment though that 92 percent kind of reflective of what a critic would think and then audience score i mean completely respectful 81 percent considering a lot of the audience scores on rotten tomatoes i mean gosh anybody can go on rotten tomatoes you know Susie q or johnny q can go on there and put yeah. that they don't like it because robert pattinson was a creep and <laughs> one star which hey be fair he is a creep in the movie yeah. but um <laughs> does that warrant the one star two star review probably not but mm-hmm. uh, i think 81 percent pretty reflective of uh, a good following this movie has kind of garnered over the years and i think that's also in part to netflix it's kind of been i feel like it's been on netflix for a while now and yeah i know yeah, a yeah. lot of people who have watched it because it's on there or you know rewatched it revisited it they've made a24 has made it very accessible and i think that is one of the reasons why it's gained like a cult following and why a lot of people were excited for uncut gems because like you said i mean four million box office that is not a lot of tickets like that is very low number of people seeing this film and i feel like it's uh, you know that film is pretty well known like you can talk to not any just random person on the street but a lot of people anyone who's watched a decent amount of films and they know what it is and i think that's because of its availability you know every time we we prepare for a podcast i try to rewatch the movie and the first thing i look at all right do i need to rent this or is it available on <laughs> yeah, streaming same and a part of me was like man good times been on netflix for a while i wonder if it's still there and i checked it's still there which was very surprising to me uh but it's you're right you know because it's accessibility 
people have watched it more and gotten around to it. It's one of those movies that comes up. It's like, oh, if you like crime, and like it's the first one that comes mm-hmm. up usually. So definitely its availability has helped it garner a lot more success. Let's jump into the more you know. I wrote down a couple facts here that I found pretty interesting about Good Time. All right. I guess, you know, fact number one and two, I'm just going to combine because they're kind of the same. Okay. So the Safties hired real cops for the mall chase scene. The crew filmed mm. during regular business hours while the mall was open to the public. So reactions in the final cut are genuine from real customers. Some mall customers even try to stop the cops from chasing the actors, which is, a, I feel like, a very New York thing. They try to stop <laughs> yes. the cops instead of yes. the, uh, the actors. <laughs> that is, that's got to be true. Um, <laughs> and then uh, point number two is the scene where Connie enters the hospital was shot in an active emergency room with real patients. Mm-hmm. So kind of so very similar facts that the film was not filmed like guerrilla style where they're like running around without permits and, and trying to get genuine reactions. Because I, I think I did read they had permits, but they wanted to really get genuine reactions and get the vibe to feel super realistic. Yeah. And when you're watching it, if it looks genuine, it's because it is. I mean, half of those people on the street probably like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. They don't know what's going on. And I, I think that's what I love about this movie is because I'm watching it and it's incredibly frenetic. There's a lot going on at one point, but it doesn't feel like it's forced. It just feels like this is what's happening. This is how mm-hmm. it would happen. Like if I was on the street... This is what I would be seeing, and that's what yeah. I like about it. Yeah, for sure. That those are facts that I've I kind of gravitated to as well, just in passing and like looking up things about the film in the past and in prep for this pod. And um, I just the fact that they had these active locations, like open sets, basically. I guess not a set, but just like an open location is kind of wild, but it makes sense because it really feels like you said it's frenetic, it's chaotic. And the fact that there are real patients at the hospital, they're at a real bail bondsman's place. That's the owner of the bail bond shop. And he feels like a real guy because he is. And then like, yes, all yeah. these people basically playing themselves, like they shoot the scenes with Nick. That's at a real uh, mental hospital with handy, mentally handicapped people walking around. Like they just filmed it there with the people there. And so like everything feels authentic and just down and dirty and unplanned honestly it feels unplanned which yeah, i think is it perfect it just perfectly accentuates the the frenzied one bad night nature of the film any facts from you that you want to bring up for sure i got a couple here uh two relating to robert pattinson i'll do this one first um both are kind of funny so basically like you said the fact is talking about how the shoot was very authentic so locations weren't locked down um, Robert Pattinson has described that he kind of has somewhat like PTSD from the Twilight fandom, just how much he was mobbed and the notoriety he had. He didn't, he kind of suffered a lot of anxiety because of that, which is kind of why he receded into the independent filmmaking. But because of the makeup and the um, costumes that he was wearing, not one person recognized Robert Pattinson while they were filming, and not a single cell phone picture was taken from pedestrians. Uh, during the shoot now obviously there's some iconic photos of Pattinson uh, in character behind the scenes but that's from the crew the funny thing was is like if they were asked by pedestrians and residents like what they were doing the crew was told to answer that they were filming for a untitled social work project and so they started the production early then what the like they announced to try and avoid notoriety and then Pattinson stayed in character off screen he would stay in character to go buy cigarettes he even uh, accidentally bought cigarettes with counterfeit bills that he had from the set just because he had them in his pocket. <laughs> I did, did not read this. Yeah, That's and great. then um, at one scene, they said towards the end, uh, in the security guard's apartment block, residents uh, asked him if he was, Br- asked Pattinson in the elevator if he was Bradley Cooper's security guard because <laughs> there was a, a Bradley Cooper film that was being shot somewhere close to there. I, I don't know what that would have been. Maybe a star is born. I'm not sure, but probably that might be too early. But um, yeah, yeah so early. nobody recognized him, which is incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I have thoughts on the Robin, Robert Pattinson get up. Actually, I'm going to ask you now. How do you feel about the R. Pat's black hair versus R. Pat's blonde hair? Which one are you more, more fan of? Man, Robert Pattinson is just one of the most beautiful men in the world. And <laughs> I just, is, I just got, I just got to say, he he can pull off any look. Okay, like he can, he can, he he can pull it off. I mean. You even see buzz cut Arpat in the film at one point, and he's pulling that off too. And I don't know. I prefer Bleach Blonde, you know? Yeah, um, I was actually a big fan of the Bleach yeah, Blonde. The bleach, it looks pretty the cool. Bleach, you know, 
bonus fact I didn't have written down, but I remembered, uh, they had dyed his hair back and forth uh, between black and blonde uh, so many times his hair started falling out. And so, oh. yeah, it started falling out so bad that um, they just eventually had to use like the takes that they had. Luckily, obviously, they were good. It was kind of just for posterity. They were making sure they had everything. And yeah, so yeah. the day the film wrapped, he shaved his head. And then the next day is when they took the buzz cut uh, mugshot picture that's on tv well i i thought i read that fact and then i'm glad you brought it up because i kind of forgot about it um <laughs> our pat's blonde hair you know what disclaimer like you said he is a very good looking man he can pull off basically any look i think in almost any movie he's ever been in mm-hmm. my fiance has said wow our our pat's really sexy and i've had to agree with everything yeah. she said because he is very my, my fiance feels exactly the same way <laughs> and with i the, agree with her <laughs> yeah same here same here with the blonde hair look although like kind of creepy and sleazy the way he like had oh, it I transformed mean, he, in the he's movie he's definitely a creeper but yeah he looks but good <laughs> it works it works i'm like i thought like gosh what if i did that would i look good i don't think i would look as good i don't think i'd look even announced as good yeah but, i've come uh, very close to bleaching my hair blonde before uh especially over quarantine when i had nothing to do and no job yeah <laughs> um but as every everyone in my life reminded me it was like your hair is going to be destroyed your curly hair is going to get all messed up and i'm like okay well i guess i'll stop and then reading stories yeah. about <laughs> robert pattinson losing hair i'm like okay yeah maybe i yeah, should maybe that's a good call by me uh all right we're digressing as much as i love to talk about how attractive robert pattinson is in his hair that's fine my last (laughs) my last fact also about robert pattinson but uh apparently robert pattinson's performance in this film was reportedly what brought matt reeves to consider him as the title role in the batman which will release allegedly this year i doubt it i think it'll be probably next year it's wrapped uh, filming so we'll see but uh, yeah, apparently this is it. Matt Reeves saw Good Time and was like, Robert Pattinson, you could be Batman if you yeah. wanted to. And uh, well, now he is Batman. For sure. And I think that makes a lot of sense because this was really, like he'd had some good performances. Like he was in the Rover. I believe Lost City of Z had already come out, um, but he wasn't the main character in that. In that. And um, I really feel like this was the film that confirmed to everyone, like, no, Robert Pattinson is like... A genius level actor actually it's just the twilight films are just poorly written the characters are bad and that's why he's not necessarily good in them even if i still find him kind of funny in a goofy way just because those movies are cheesy but no i mean that makes sense like i remember seeing this and even though i didn't like the movie i was like okay well pattinson can act i'll see whatever he's in pretty much i think that's my favorite thing about this movie is that it showed the world that this guy isn't just edward cullen yeah. Which, like you said, brought a lot of anxiety, a lot of fandom, a lot of people in love with him, which is great. You know, it, it really started his career off as as much as I loved Ced- Cedric Diggory and his performance in Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Cedric deserved better. He did. He did deserve yes, he better. Did. <laughs> he did deserve better. But I love this movie because it really showed, look, our Robert Pattinson can act and he is really you know, he's become like an A24 guy now with, you know, two other films under A24's belt. But he, he can act. This guy has a lot of yeah. talent. And I think that this movie has really shown that. And for sure, for any naysayers out there who are like, we're worried about Batman. You know, there are a lot there of reaction pe- videos. There are still out. people who have problems with Pattinson as an actor. And I mean, we'll, we'll probably get to him even more yeah. later on. But like, man, I just everything he's been in since the last Twilight film has been great. Like not just know, exactly. not just good, like great. Or at least yeah. he's in fantastic in it. We'll have more Robert Pattinson thoughts later. Any other facts before we move on? Yeah, well, this one, I guess, is another Pattinson fact, but not necessarily about his performance. It's just how he got the role. So uh, I think, I believe it was Benny Safdie in an interview was saying that um, Pattinson first first contacted them by emailing him. And Pattinson basically gushed for paragraphs about a single still shot from Heaven Knows What, the Safdie's previous film. The film wasn't even out yet, and he wrote like, this long obsessive email about how beautiful the film was and how it was like his destiny to work with them and all this stuff and he said that Benny Safdie said that he was kind of genuinely creeped out and was like you know what I kind of don't want to write back and then his (laughs) his agent was like are you kidding me it's Robert Pattinson you have to email back and so that he emailed and then they met in person by that time Pattinson had seen the film and he said Pattinson said he would literally do anything to work with them and whatever they do next. And he said, I will I will even cater. Like I will I can't cook, but I will learn to cook and cater for you if it means I can be in your next film. So like Wow. 
he really, really wanted to break out of where he was in his career, which I, I did put also that story is just funny. It's just crazy to think. Imagine being an independent filmmaker, making, you know, some really solid in- independent films and then getting an email from Robert Pattinson, who is just gushing about the movie you made. I almost would like not Before believe it's, it's even him. out, just a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost would be like, I, this has to be like spam. This can't yeah. be real. I, I would be so uncertain if it was even legitimate but um it must be like quite the like just affirmation that yeah what i'm doing is the right thing i'm doing yeah (laughs) Uh, if robert pattinson is reaching out to me and and i'm glad he did because it's worked out really well since then oh yeah that's a great story to tell as well all right we have some scenes to talk about i've written down a couple scenes as what i find to be my favorite scenes some of the best scenes in the movie okay the first thing i want to talk about the first 17 minutes, and I say first 17 minutes because we get the opening title in the beginning, basically, and then we don't get credits until the 17th minute mark, where it mentions Robert Pattinson, Benny Safdie. Like, that, that doesn't happen yeah. until like 17 minutes after the title card, but mm. the opening 17 minutes really sets the pace for this movie, and then, I mean, yeah. sets the tone, it sets you, all right, this is going to be a chaotic journey. It's going to be a long night, to say the least. Yes, I'm gonna get something. Just give me five minutes. No, no, leave it alone now. Just watch the shit in your face. What the fuck are you doing? Get in the sink. Jesus Christ. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Come out. There you go. Get five anything. seconds, I call the see police. Red or pink dye, okay? My brother is mentally handicapped. He's bugging a paper off a construction truck and hit him on the head. I'm gonna come out in one second. It's an emergency, all right? Please, just give me five minutes. And that's what I just love so much about this opening, you know, 15 minutes, because I know what I'm in store for. And uh, well, in the sense that I know what the kind of the tone and pace I'm in store for, maybe not plot wise, but I know that from these few minutes, um, I've got an idea of what kind of character Connie is. I've gotten a yeah. kind of an idea of what kind of character uh, Nick- Nicholas is. We talked last week about Heat and how uh, Michael Mann kind of just throws you into mm-hmm. the just There's the a lot of that in this. Yeah, and it, it kind of reminds me of that. Well, maybe not to the extent of man, you know, hype, but like it still like throws you into the midst of yeah. a problematic relationship between uh, brothers. Really establishes Connie's uh, kind of a kind of a sleaze bag. Let's be honest; he's oh. not the not the greatest guy. Yeah, the opening establishes as kind of a sleaze bag, and but then it kind of just plants that in your brain and then unwraps it, and that that plot thread just continues to expand. <laughs> exactly and so I, I i just love everything about this it's it's paced so well in my eyes you know you go from one scene to the next scene to the next scene and it's just like quick but it's like very very efficient it feels like it's edited perfectly uh your thoughts on the opening 15 17 minutes absolutely and i actually find it hard to pick out a scene a single scene that i love above all others because like you said it's so well paced, so well edited. It all flows together into like one nonstop night, pretty much. So when I start the film, it's like I have to watch the whole thing because I'm invested in this heist. It's such a good hook to get the audience in invested into whatever happens. You know, it sets up everything about what the film is, you know, going to have that opening heist where they the money bags explode and paints everywhere. That red is so bright and vibrant, it just pops off the screen. They got to hide the bag in a Domino's bathroom. And like they're, you know, running through the mall. Like I said, with real cops, it feels real. Then, of course, the title comes up in that just absolutely angelic, synth score is yes uh, yes it was it one of one of point tricks never is that how you pronounce it i yeah i, I, I don't know how you name. say it but it's like yeah one oh point tricks never or something like yeah, that. yeah it is just oh so good like i listen to that score all the time it, it is brilliant everything everything there to hook you in is right there at the beginning Definitely more comments on the soundtrack later because I also think it's one of the high points of this movie. Mm. There's a lot of high Mm. points of this movie, but the soundtrack is definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean, I have to just agree again with everything you said. I I like that the first 15 minutes, you do get really invested to the point where you kind of want to know what happens next. And I I feel like a lot of heist films, I mean, a lot of crime films or crime dramas... There's a, there's a level of predictability to any type of movie. You know, you can kind of get an idea of what's going to happen. But I feel like what I love about Good Time is that 
something happens that I never expect almost in every scene. And mm-hmm. and that's what I love about it. You know, they're running away from the cops or they're, they're running away from the bank. Seems like they're going to get away. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, all right, they're going to get away. Maybe it'll be, they'll get home, figure things out. No, then like the money bag explodes and there's that red, pink dye that goes everywhere. And the contrast of that pink dye to like the super dull and very boring mundane New York uh, was, it's just beautiful sight to see cinematically in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they run into the dominoes. You know, Benny's freaking out because of the paint and the mask. And then, then they seem like they're going to get away again. Yeah. And they're walking away. It's like, all right, but now they'll get away. And then the cop pulls them over and then they're running from the cops again. Um, everything that happens is so unpredictable. And it just feels like, I almost feel like the Safdie brothers know like, all right, this is what the typical genre would bring. Let's go the opposite way. And yeah. that's what I love about every scene. They go to the hospital Connie's trying to break them out of the hospital and he breaks the wrong person out. It's like, that's not, that's something I would have never, ever thought of in a million years would happen. Like, and that leads into the first scene actually that I want to mention. So I'm glad you brought it up. Go segue. Perfect transition here. Uh, The hospital rescue, Uh, that scene, that whole section, again, it's like hard to say scene where scenes begin and end Yeah, uh, yeah. because it's so fluid. But um, yeah, that hospital rescue, I think, is just absolutely one of the best executed sections ever in a film. Because like at this point, we're still fully with Pattinson, like he's manipulative, but we're like, oh, he's just trying to rescue his brother, you know, like he could leave, but he's trying to get him out. And so like, it's still a noble enough cause to where we want him to succeed. Yes. He has this great banter with a policeman and an elderly woman in intensive care when he's hiding. He's so smug and slimy, but confident. It's just infectious when you're watching and just brilliant acting. And of course, like you said, there's that genius payoff. He get, goes through all this. He sneaks onto a bus, talks his way out. I'm like, man, this guy is a good talker. Like, he's actually yeah. got a handle on things. He talks his way in this person's house. He dyes his hair. We're like, man, this dude, uh, he knows what's up. He's, he's, he's getting away. And then that first pin drop of actually he's not as amazing as he thinks he is. He accidentally took this guy named Ray and it's not his brother. It's a funny moment. It's shocking. And it's basically the true beginning of Connie's night completely unraveling. And I just, I love that. I love that. When you find out that it's not his brother and it's Ray, I honestly, it feels like like it's a mid plot twist to a movie where, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not, they're not trying to make it like this Shyamalan-esque plot twist where it's like, oh, plot twist. It's the wrong person. It's just like a thing that happens. You genuinely don't expect it at all. Yeah, I, not at all. Not no part of me would have imagined that. It just and that's what I love. Like every type of typical genre crime moment that mm-hmm. would happen in a movie doesn't happen in this movie. It just completely flips it on its head, turns oh, yeah. the script, and that's that's what I love. Which is you know this is perfect because I feel like now I, the scene I brought up, you brought up the next scene. The next scene I want to talk about is actually my, I think my favorite scene in the movie, and that's okay. Ray's acid story. I remember being dropped off by a bus. The jail releases me, the bus drops me off right in front of a liquor store in the corner. I mean, after doing two years in jail, what the fuck do you think is gonna happen, man? I'm gonna, I'm gonna want a fucking drink. Right away, I'm getting a bottle of brandy and I'm already practically broke with the little money that was left in my account. So I call my boy Khalif, he comes through with some more liquor and some sticks of Xanax. My brother. He takes some sticks, I take some sticks. And by now we're all fucked up and I'm just feeling so good that I don't even give a fuck. I think what I love about this scene so much is that it it comes out of complete left field where yeah. there's a pause in probably the entire plot of the movie. The first time we get this pause, the whole movie's yeah. been very fluid, it's building up. It, it Exactly, very Michael Mann-esque where, yeah, we've built up to this moment. Connie's having a very rough night. They're trying to figure out what to do next. And all of a sudden, let's just take a pause and let's have Ray tell this ridiculous story about him getting out of jail and acid and dropping acid in an arcade. You know, it, it, it ends up being vital to the plot because mm-hmm. it's what spurs Connie to go look for the acid. Yeah. But it, it just feels so out of nowhere. Like it, easily they could have done like, Oh, Ray could have said, Oh, I know where some acid's at. Let's go get it to sell it. And no, no, no. Yeah. The Safties were like, let's tell this very long story uh, about how it happened. And it just adds to the, the frenzy of the movie. Yeah. And, Oh, man, I love this scene so much. Absolutely. It's great. And um, I think that's a lot of people's favorite. I know it's one of my friend's favorite moments. Um, 
And it's funny too, because the actor that played Ray actually got out of jail like two weeks before the film started. And so that story is actually a lot of his actual backstory as to how he got arrested (laughs) in the first place. So it's, it's actually him like retelling a lot of like how he was just arrested and captured in the first place. So he's so energetic. It's like him talking about his real life. Yeah, I think the authenticity of that story. I mean, that's a it's a pretty ridiculous story. It's so ridiculous, to yeah. think it up, I'm sure anybody. Yeah, you could probably think it up and write it. But it's so offbeat and so weird that it it makes sense that it happened to somebody and it's like it, it, it's so off it has to be real <laughs> exactly exactly and his enthusiasm while telling it it's clear like this happened to somebody and it makes mm-hmm. more sense now like it happened to him it makes more sense to his enthusiasm and his way of telling it it's like all right well that makes sense then i mean if there yeah, are parts of it exactly are true. and i just love again the boldness of the safties like the boldness of man hey filmmakers out there you need to have some scenes like this where yes, you just yeah. stop the narrative propulsion to give some context, give some backstory to these characters. Like, yeah, he's clearly not a good guy, but after seeing what happened to him, it's kind of funny and endearing, and like you kind of care. Like, yeah. it, at least <laughs> at least gets you to want to see where how it can go wrong next. Maybe not root for him, but like, okay, well, I want to see what happens next. You know, it just it reels you in, it keeps you going. Yes, the character development in this movie is excellent, and it's because of scenes like this where easily ray could have been a character that he's just there we don't care about or yeah, that just we a plot hate device. yeah it's just a plot device someone that's just there to move the plot forward or that we just don't like because of what he's he's doing in the film but mm-hmm. because we're giving some context of how he came there or how he arrived to this moment you know like you said we may not like like him or anything like that but he becomes more of a person and more of a character to the point yeah. where it, it does get easier he to, feels to, real it, yeah, exactly. It feels very real. So that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, how about another scene that you like that you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, this is the last scene that I wrote down. And it's not maybe even necessarily a full scene. It's more like a moment um, in a scene. But uh, it's near the end of the film. It's when they're at, I can't, honestly, I can't remember whose apartment it was. I think it's Connie's. And um, it's the I'm better than you moment. You know what? I'm fucking real. I'm trying to talk to you. All right, go fuck yourself, man. I think you're better than me. I am better than you. You're, 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 you're an ignorant fuck, bro. <laughs> no one's better than any next man, all right? You don't know me from Adam. The second you got here, went to the booze, and you got fucked up, but that's fine. So that's, that's, who, that's, that's, up, who, that's just who you are. You're a fuck up. That's, I don't oh, care, okay, whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. give a shit. You shouldn't give a shit. Who gives a shit? I, I definitely don't give a shit. Look, losers like you are incapable of taking care of themselves. You're either leeching off mommy, or leeching off welfare, or living off the government in jail. Right. That's you. You don't know the first thing about me, bro. What's to know? What's to know? You serve absolutely no function whatsoever. It's pathetic. Which has become a, which has basically become a meme, but yes, in the context yeah. of the film is fantastic. Cause like you see in this one scene, that true fatal flaw, he sees himself as a step above the rest, as a superior type of person. And we've basically spent the past hour and 15 minutes watching him not be that and make mistake after mistake and nothing go according to plan. So like it's even made more absurd that he sees himself this way because even in the face of so much failure he's like i'm untouchable and then of course it all leads to the final moments of the film the climax of it which is great but this this one moment i think is the one of the best ways i've seen a filmmaker take a character down and just totally like condemn certain things that he's doing and just i don't know it's just brilliant how it's set up and paced uh first thing i will say it's actually the security guards high-rise apartment that's I had right to, that's i had to double right. check myself though because i looked on wikipedia I couldn't remember. before we recorded i was like is it the security guards high-rise um it is his high-rise which is okay a, a different question for later but i had kind of like the end scene in terms of my last scene i want to talk about mm-hmm. in the last 10-ish minutes and this kind of encompasses that moment where he tells them he's better excellent moment it's funny that's kind of become a meme now, but uh, yeah. a lot of <laughs> those memes are funny though. <laughs> <laughs> they are pretty great, but I love this moment as well because it's kind of like the height of his character development. He obviously is so uh, maybe arrogance the wrong word, but he yeah, thinks he's, he, he's consumed he, as his hubris is just totally yes. consumed him. Yeah, he's he really thinks that he's like untouchable, 
right? And that he can't be caught. And, you know, to an extent, he's shown that. He's conned his way out of mm-hmm. um, the hospital and, and the guy on the bus. And he's he's found a, diff- a lot of different ways to, to succeed. You know, he conned himself into this person's house. So he has all these moments that really build up his hubris and his pride and his arrogance where he thinks yeah. he's like this criminal mastermind. Um, he still like doesn't relate to to a petty criminal like Ray, and it kind of just shows like this superiority, you know, this god complex that he has, and which ultimately leads to his downfall. Yeah, and he gets arrested, and I, I think just kind of extend the moment. I think the moment where he's in the back of the the police car, the we just see him sitting back there. The camera is kind of showing him through the metal fence in the police car, yeah, and it just slowly yeah. zooms in on his face, and his face is kind of just blank. Just staring. I think at that moment, maybe he's coming to the realization that that he is like Ray. That yeah. they are just one in the same. I think it's kind of funny though that Ray's demise is he falls off a, a building, a high rise mm-hmm. building, which is a, an interesting choice. I, I'm not sure how to, to comment on that. It feels like I almost want to look at it as like Ray is. And that made him take offense to what Robert Pattinson character said about being better than him. But mm-hmm. he like he does this very daredevil thing of going out on a yeah twelve you know, foot. It's almost like know, to do it in the face of Pattinson. Like, look at me. You know, I'm on top of everybody now instead of you. It hundred percent feels like that. It's like, look, I'm up here. You're down here. I'm gonna get away. Like, I am better than you, or we are the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, he falls off, and and it ends up on the same level as Pattinson, but. But dead on the same level right there i think is exactly the point that they're going for like they're on the same playing field here exactly so th- that's what i love about this this ending and then there's that somber moment at the end too with nick finally getting the help he needs and of course he's sad his brother is in there but you know he's finally realizing how manipulative uh, connie was that's definitely my honorable mention for this yeah. this movie where the rolling credits of him kind of finally opening up, accepting the help that he's been needing for who knows how long, definitely yeah. this entire movie, uh, but his ability to finally accept it. And as the credits roll, the one o Tricks Point Never featuring Iggy Pop song is, is playing, yeah. and it's absolutely beautiful and fantastic. Fits yeah, his the setting voice and, over the credits, like it changes the whole tone of the film, yeah. really. Like, and the con- it recontextualizes the whole thing, and you're like, Actually, it's almost a story about this person breaking free of an abuser, basically. It's so such a powerful moment. Oh, man. You and I could probably gush about all of these scenes for a long time. Pretty much. <laughs> but we have to try to be unbiased critics. Let's look at the flaws. I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally, I'll hit somebody with my car. Again, I pulled some flaws written by some quote-unquote professional. What are the people saying, Joe? What are the people saying? Flaw number one, the acting by a mostly amateur cast is over the top. The writing is genuinely ludicrous, and the characters are so contrived that the movie defies even the most basic logic. Rex Reed of The Observer, definitely the most harsh critic uh, of this movie I found easily. You know, I definitely want to be critical of that. But I will say, I feel like that was kind of my first impression opinion as someone who just wasn't in the headspace or at least with didn't have enough film experience to understand the the power of the film and like why it's actually a great film. So I actually can see that like from my initial experience where I didn't like it, I was like, these people can't act. Oh, I was like, well, they're not actors. <laughs> they feel like real people. If you put me in that position, that's how I would be. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Yeah, and like the ludicrous of the plot, I can understand that. As at the time, I was like, "Oh my god, what else could happen?" But like, no, that's the point. It's a pressure cooker. Like yeah. your anxiety is going up, and I feel like that critic definitely missed the point, like I did the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to put it. This might be a great initial reaction. Um, I wonder if Rex Reed of the Observer has watched it a second time, and I'm curious yeah. to know if his thoughts have changed. Um, you know, the amateur cast. It is an amateur cast. You can't really say it's not. Besides mm-hmm. Pattinson and. And maybe Benny Safdie, it's it's it is an amateur cast, but for a reason. You know, these people yeah. are authentic; they're real. I think the plot it may be 
a little over the top at points, but it's not like to the point where it's like uh, not believable at some time. No. You know, it, it feels believable despite it being a little ridiculous. It does feel like it could happen. Yeah, it feels believable because you've established how manipulative and controlling and, you know, the God complex that Connie has. It makes sense that someone with that mentality would go on a night like this <laughs> exactly so the, the the last statement to say the movie defies most basic logic feels like a stretch to me because it doesn't feel like at any point it's like yeah. defying logic i mean totally i think to any movie there is a level of or a degree of you need to kind of accept the fact that it's a movie but it doesn't feel like it's defying logic by any means yeah it's true to its internal logic <laughs> exactly exactly true to its internal logic so that was the, that was basically the main flaw I saw. I mean, there are a couple okay. other ones, but this was like the the one that really stuck out. Yeah, it's a pretty acclaimed film, so hard to find. Yeah, honestly, it was hard to find any uh, negative commentary on it and criticism on it. So that was the main flaw. That's it. We're okay. done. We pulled the bandaid off. It's over. We we talked about the yeah. one thing that people brought up. Let's move into something more fun. Question: What kind of bear is best? It's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. I have a few questions for you that I thought were pretty interesting, and I want okay. to hear your response to. Okay. I'm not sure what Tennessee is like. Is there a White Castle in Tennessee? Do you guys have White Castle there? Okay, so I I think so, but not where I am, not in Memphis. Okay. Um, have you been to a White Castle? I have been to a White Castle. We have crystals here, which is basically the same thing in terms of food offering. It's those little uh-huh. teeny tiny sliders. That probably came out of a plastic package, but they they, they slap. <laughs> they taste pretty good. But so, yeah, no no White Castle here. I've been to. There's no White Castle in California. Well, okay. I don't I don't know. All of California is a pretty big state, but not anywhere in Southern California that I can even think of. Yeah. I have been to one White Castle in Las Vegas, where it's mm-hmm. open 24 hours. I was really excited to go to White Castle because of Harold and Kumar, because of what people have been saying. It's White Castle. Yeah. Uh, top five worst fast food restaurants i've ever been in my entire life i will say that right now it was absolutely disgusting i will never ever go to white castle yeah. again. it's a hard pass for me man i can't i can't do it it's just those sliders tasted like they came out of the microwave and then i i hate pickles so i actually got pickles online and it was just it was just a bad experience and i don't think i'll ever do it again yeah like i said i mean we have crystals here and it's like the bottom tier there are just sometimes, though, a mood. I just want a Crystal's Burger, which is, again, wow. basically what a White Castle is. But I, I do agree with you. Top five probably worst fast food places. Um, I can't rake. I'm sure places like Captain D's probably worse, but I've never been because why in the world would I want fast food? <laughs> I've never even heard of that. What's it called? Fish. It's called Captain D's. It's, it's fast food fish? Fast food seafood. And Dude, that's I can't, nasty. Oh, but it's always busy here. And I don't know why. I, I can't imagine it being good at all. And I've never been. Is there a long John Silver's in Tennessee? Yeah, we have that. Um, okay, not that's as the many, only thing I can think of. Yeah. It's like fast no, I would food never, fish. I just, God, I just can't imagine that being Captain close D's. To I'm going to look this up afterwards. I have never heard of that. But fast food fish. There's some things that shouldn't be fast. And it's fish. It just. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a fiend for McDonald's. I, I will gladly admit that i'm a big fan of mcdonald's anytime well, any day know. i feel it's like mcdonald's, McDonald's. got a, <laughs> it, I, but i feel like it, mcdonald's has gone through like a weird like transformation where it's like obviously really popular at one point and then there was a, a stretch of time where it was like after super size me where everybody was like mm-hmm. anti-mcdonald's but i feel like it's having a resurgence again where it's like yeah kind of well, they're cool. bringing back some of their nostalgic things and i do really feel like though they lost a lot of luster not to get on a mcdonald's tangent but they lost, lost a lot of luster when they just basically made everything like the, you know, the super aesthetic designs of all their stores and like really yeah, modern. Yeah. And like, I get that, but I just don't care. Like all the weirdly designed with all the crazy characters is what made McDonald's great. And yeah, it's yeah. just like none of those anymore. Yeah, they're trying to modernize themselves, get with like the times a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, I think their French fries reign supreme over anything. But yeah. that's my McDonald's thoughts. All, but yeah, all that anyways. to say, White Castle, I have been to one. Not good. And then yeah. Crystal's is also one of those things I just really have to be really hungry. The, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. That Vegas experience, White Castle. Poof, man. If you're going to Las Vegas, just go to McDonald's. It's like right next door. It's 24 <laughs> hours as well. 
you know, Taco Bell's over there. It's pretty cool, yeah. too. Taco Bell over all other fast food. All right. That was my White Castle thought, so I had to get it from you. Because okay. Okay. Obviously, they stop at a White Castle in this movie. So mm-hmm. just getting your thoughts on that. All right. I have a couple of scale one to 10s, and, and you need to get your okay. ranking or your sure scale thing. on. First one, scale one to 10. How bad is the name Nicholas Nikas? Why would you name yourself two, or why would you name someone two names that are very similar? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty bad. Although I will say, easy to remember. It um, is easy to remember, but like, yeah. essentially, his name is Nick Nikas, which Nick is Nikas. not good. I mean, I just it it sounds like a fake name. It sounds like Dirk Diggler. Like <laughs> no one would actually name themselves, you know, or no one would name someone that. I don't know. I would say it's probably a seven, seven, seven out of right. ten on the bad scale, just because in real life I would hate myself if I was named that. However, in the context of the film and like I guess making the characters memorable, it's pretty easy to remember. It but is pretty yeah. easy to remember. But yeah, but Nick in... Nikas is just no. <laughs> Not a, <laughs> like, in context no. <laughs> of real life, you're giving your kid a weird life if you're giving them like a first name very similar to your last. John name. Johnson, like no, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like why? Why John Johnson? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, last one. Scale one to ten. We've now watched two crime movies these past two weeks, Nate. So we're pretty well versed in heists and and maybe robbing yes, banks for sure. How successful do you think you could be in robbing a bank one to ten with your knowledge of film? <laughs> ten, ten being high. Ten being like you're getting away, and one being okay. you're you walk in and uh, get arrested. Uh, probably like a negative five. <laughs> um, I am literally too polite of a person. Even if I was so desperate to try and rob a bank, they'd be like, no, I'm not giving you the money. I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'll just leave. <laughs> like, I just, I, I can't do it. I have, I, I don't have the ability. I'm the, I, I'm not a negotiator. I go to a store and they're like, dude, you got to, you know, negotiate the price. I'm like, oh, this is what you want for it. Well, how about I give you like that, but like plus a little bit as a tip. <laughs> Because you're just being oh, so nice man. to me. Uh, I just, I just, I can't, oh, man. I already know. I already know. really my, funny. Uh... I'm like <laughs> trying not to cry from laughter right now. Uh, okay. Well, I was ready for you to say like, yeah, I'm like a six. I've, nah. I've had my own heist out. I'm pretty good at it. Okay. Absolutely not. That's cool. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I, I bet you I could plan one, but, I, but if you put me in the situation, no. Nah total i'm just folding i'm like steve's uh, on and out of sight i flee instantly <laughs> you know it's just uh, yeah remind me not to put you on my heist team then uh maybe yeah. to plan it but not to execute it sure It'll just, sure, sure. Back. yeah wow okay well i was thinking i was like a strong six you know i've watched enough <laughs> i gotta movies. be true to myself man i gotta be true to myself i know that i, I cannot cap that hard <laughs> Negative three. all right that's that's perfectly fine your honesty is much appreciated i love it <laughs> Let's uh let's form some ranks together. Form ranks! Form ranks! So I know you have some things for me to rank. Go okay. for it. First thing I want you to rank top five Robert Pattinson performances, and you could just go by favorite or and do a mix of like good and also just favorite, I guess, is what you want to do. Because I got okay. my Okay. All right, let's start with your five. I okay. have a good idea what my five are, but I want to see if there's anything I'm missing. So let's hear your okay. five, and then I'll go right after that. So this one, the fifth spot I saved as like a, a one for me. This is not really a good performance, but I love it. It's it's his performance in uh, the first Twilight film. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's described it as uh, basically he played Edward Cullen as someone who physically gets repulsed by his himself because of how terrible a person he is and he's basically like i hate this character um so i played it as someone i hate basically and it's just so funny and so corny and i actually think the first Twilight film is genuinely enjoyable like that baseball scene is just pure <laughs> cinema right there that's what Mar- martin Scorsese says he looked at that and was like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever seen take that marvel i yeah, love but no, that scene I just, I like him as Edward Cullen just because it's funny. I like, it's just a meme, but I enjoy it. Anyways, number four, uh, this is more of like a real pick. I'm going with The Lighthouse at four. Okay. Sure, it's a little low. Um, I'm not as high on The Lighthouse as others are. I do think it's a really, really good film. Big fan of Robert Eggers, that Viking movie he's making. The Northman is going to be incredible. I already know. But yeah, he's him and Willem Dafoe, tour de force. Great, great performance. Number three is Tenet. Christopher Nolan's film, actually one of my favorite Nolan films. I've I watched it a lot last year. Um, 
and it's the only 2020 film that I've bought on Blu-ray. Oh. Uh, he's just so charming in that. And it is another thing that sold me that he is a true movie star. Like, yes, he is this indie indie darling, but Tenet, he is just pure charisma. You know, he's, I think it's his natural accent, his British accent. And I mean, he is so charming in that. He sells every scene he's in. He's a supporting role, but it's like him and John David Washington equally just eat the, eat the scenery up in, in the yeah. best way. And it, again, proved to me that, yeah, this guy's going to be a great Batman. So number two, I'm going good time. And this is just based on performance. So I really love his performance here. We've talked about it all the time. Fantastic. Number one, though, I'm going Claire Denis' High Life, another A24 film. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very high on High Life. I I avoided it for a couple years because I had a couple friends go and see it and tell me that it was absolutely terrible, that I would hate (laughs) it and not to waste my time. So I, I avoided it. And um, over quarantine, like actual lockdown before people just started calling, like walking around quarantine, (laughs) um, (laughs) I was just in my room and I was like, all right, well, uh, it's like two in the morning, but my sleep schedule is destroyed. I'm just going to crank up high life. So I lit a candle. It was late at night and that movie just totally blew me away and his performance in it. Oh man. So just beautiful stuff. He's fantastic in that film. If you haven't seen High Life, it's not, I wouldn't say for everyone, but the messages in that, I, the cinematography, just, I'm a big sci-fi nerd, and so it, it did everything for me. Okay, so I have High Life thoughts. Let me go over my top five very quickly Okay. before I get into them. So at five, I actually have The Lighthouse, which may be okay. like sacrilegious to some people because we're doing a hey. 24 month, but Good I, I like it. I just, I'm not, a, I'm also not as high on it as a lot of people are. Um, I, yeah. I enjoyed it when I watched it in theaters. And I've seen parts of it afterwards uh, mm-hmm. at home. Still love it. And he's excellent in it. But it's yeah. it's not my favorite uh, in the Eggers filmography, uh, nor in the Pattinson performances. So mm-hmm. that ranks at number five. Uh, number four, you had Twilight. I'm going to put Goblet of Fire. I really like yeah. him in that movie. It, Goblet of Fire is my favorite Harry Potter movie. Okay. It's easily the okay. most enjoyable to me. I've yeah, He's great in that. I can't deny it. He's not in it much, but I, I do love him as Edward Diggory. Yeah, I love him as Cedric Diggory. I, you know, he's great for what he does in it. And Goblet of Fire will always be the one I kind of just, just turn on the most. So that's my number four pick. Okay, good pick. I, I also have Tenet at three, which okay. I, I love him in. His, yeah. His charisma. He's suave. He's just so cool. If When I watched that movie, I felt like he could be a really cool James Bond, which I don't think oh, he'll yeah. end up being. But I'm like, I yeah. watched that. I'm like... So this guy could be James Bond, and I would be very happy yeah. with that. He could really be anything. Like I'm like, yeah, he could be Batman. And like you said, he could definitely be James Bond. I mean, he's basic, basically a James Bond type in the film. He's Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, very just like sexy but badass at the same time. Mm-hmm. Really like him on Tenet a lot. And in Tenet, a movie that is polarizing to say the least. I, I, me and my fiance watched it and we loved it. We thought it was great. Um, yeah. You know, it may have been a little confusing at points for me, but I, that doesn't like take away the experience for me too much. Mm-hmm. I, I still found it to be enjoyable. Yeah. But... I, I saw it in IMAX. Uh, oh, I'm jealous. It blew yeah. me away. It, it really just was <laughs> incredible. Anyways, yeah. What's your number two? My number two is High Life, which okay. I have seen. And uh, like you said, it is definitely not for everybody. It is a mm-hmm. sci-fi film, and it I think it's very good, mm-hmm. but it's not for your type of uh, like Blade Runner or Alien. It's no. not, it, you know, it's, it's not very a, hard sci-fi. It is very hard sci-fi. It's not like a s- space horror survival type thing that you'll enjoy. It's a lot different than that, but uh, very good nonetheless. But I, I have good time at number my number mm-hmm. one. Yeah, uh, I think good time is definitely the. I think one of like the pinnacle of Pattinson's career, and I go back and forth. is hard to pick. It is hard to pick. It is hard to pick. And but watching Good Time just gets me so excited for the Batman. You know, I, I'm a big Matt Reeves fan. I think what mm-hmm. he's done with his career is really subtle, but really excellent. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. really underestimate him as a director. It's going to be good. I'm so. I mean, it, it will not be bad. I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't think it'll be I'm bad. Sold on that. I'm pretty sold on that. Uh, I think the Planet of the Apes trilogy that came out in the last five, six years is one of the best trilogies to come out yeah. in the last five, six years. That and his two films in about. it are like by far the best two in it too. Like they're oh, way yeah. better than the first one. Uh, the, the trilogy, the finale to that one, War for the Planet of the Apes. Although Oof. the titles need some working on. Uh, yeah. The last film is, I, I was so blown away by how much I love that movie. I think yeah. it's so good. Um, 
another another day, another podcast for Matt Reeves and Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes. But that's my ranking. Good okay. time, high good life, ranking. Tenet, good Goblet, ranking. Lighthouse. So pretty similar, pretty similar. I think yeah. we can agree, high life, good time, pretty great. Anything else you want to rank before we get to our conclusion here? Okay, so I want to ask you your top five all in one day movies. Oh, I love I love this question so much yeah. because there's so many great movies that take place in one day. Or yeah, like consecutive. Like if it starts the day before and we follow them through the night into the morning, that still counts. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not talking about a movie where they go to sleep, wake up a couple days later mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um yeah, no, I am pretty stoked about this. So uh, all right. We'll start from five going up to okay. one. I know I'm leaving movies out, and I know you'll say something that I'm going to regret yeah, not mentioning. There are so many good ones, though. There are a lot of good ones. So I'm going to go number five, 12 Angry Men, which Ooh. really just takes place in like a couple hours, if you think mm-hmm. about it, like probably like five or six hours, but yeah. takes place within a day. One of the very first, I think this is like the first movie that really got me into movies. This was, yeah. I saw it in school and fell in love with it, and then I read it in school and then ever since then, it's just a movie I constantly turn on and mm-hmm. turn to. It's just, I, I think it's perfect. I don't think there's a single flaw in the movie. I, I really yeah. love 12 Angry Men. Number four, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. It's my, easily oh. my favorite John oh, Hughes man. movie. I forgot that one I'm making my list. <laughs> I think it's my favorite 80s movie by far. Easily my favorite John Hughes movie. The I, twist and shout scene is like, taking you, you, the biggest <laughs> line of adrenaline ever it's like just pure adrenaline you gave me the goosebumps just even saying that scene i freaking love that scene so much it just it makes me want to just do it like i want to be in a parade singing twist mm-hmm. and shout with everybody it is yes one of the best moments it, it makes it, me miss people it like, does yeah so it bad. does yeah, it really does i love that scene and i love a lot of it about that movie mm-hmm. um that's my number four Number three, I'm going to have to go Training Day because Ooh. you just have to do Training Day. I, I think I rewatched it recently. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I wasn't on a Training Day kick. I, I thought it was a little mm-hmm. overrated. And now I'm in the camp of, man, this movie rocks. I think it's so yeah. good. Denzel is just electric. And I think he's fantastic. Denzel's obviously, just incredible. Won the Academy Award for it. So I mean, like, I, obviously, he's amazing in it. But I, I really like <laughs> Training Day a lot. One of the most quotable movies ever. Uh, um, number two, I'm gonna go Night of the Living Dead, uh, the original Ooh, Night of the Living Dead. Yes, um, great pick. This was the first horror movie I saw that I had recollection of as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me cry just <laughs> all through Halloween night. Uh, my friend, I was at a friend's house watching Night of the Living Dead for the first time. I got through to the point where the girl turns into a zombie and is like stabbing her mom with a shovel. Yeah, I got to that point and then started God. crying when I was like 12. I was just bawling. <laughs> Yeah. And I uh, watched it again as an adult and I had some PTSD. But, man, that movie is so, so good. Yeah, talk about Pressure Cooker. It's great. It is a Pressure Cooker movie. You know, from moment one mm-hmm. to the last minute, it is just firing and doesn't mm-hmm. really let go, doesn't let you breathe. And I love, love, love it for that. Uh, but number one has to go, I have to go with my heart. And that's, I guess, essentially the the before trilogy um mm. so sunrise sunset and and midnight well i guess midnight is more of a uh, kind of a yeah. t- couple days thing yeah but, um, midnight doesn't count but the before sunrise and sunset definitely does yeah sunrise sunset and and oddly enough i was a big sunrise fan for a long time but my fiance and i watched all of them over in the they, they mm-hmm. showed them in a, the movie theater all three of them and we Ooh. watched all of them in the theater and I, I think I'm actually grown. Would kill to see those in theaters. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I've grown more fond of Sunset now. I think mm. Sunset is super underrated, uh, yeah. and I, I love Sunset. And I love the ending to Sunset. So that's my list: Twelve Angry Men, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Training Day, Night of Living Dead, and Before yeah. Sunset. Okay. Now I'm excited to hear yours. Okay, yeah, lots of great picks in there. Um, we only have one film in common though, which I oh. think is really interesting. That's great. So, um, I don't even know so which one many it is great either. films I left off, like Ferris Bueller. That's a great one. Night of Living Dead, fantastic. But number my number five is Days and Confused. Okay, uh, another Perfect. Linklater joint. God, it, it's just such a vibe. It's incredible. Days and Confused and its pseudo sequel, spiritual sequel, Everybody Wants Some are both brilliant. But Days and Confused is definitely superior. Yeah, it's just a vibe. I just want to be in. I can turn it on no matter what mood I'm in and just feel good. Yep. yep. Um. 
And then another, then my next pick is kind of almost a precursor to Good Time, just a little more comedically toned. And that's Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Oh, good choice, um, good choice. You know, I just think After Hours is, honestly, it's top five Scorsese for me. Yeah, and I agree with that. It, it is just so brilliantly edited. It's, he, you know, he was frustrated at the time while making it. And it's basically just him flexing his ability to make a movie. And it's just one of the best made films ever. It's just nonstop, like kind of like Good Time. Number three, I got Magnolia. Oh, that PTA's takes place in a day. Epic, yes. Oh. It, it, it's long, so, you know, and there's cutaways to why. flashbacks. But, um, yeah, that that is just incredible. It's yeah. so moving, so intense. I, I adore that film. Number two, I'm going before Sunrise. I'm more of a Sunrise guy than a Sunset guy, but all three of those films are in my top 50 of all time, so I yep. love them. Um, but I just go Sunrise because it's just a little happier. Um, and oh, can, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, and I, I and I can turn it on and feel better about myself. <laughs> um, number one, though, um, I'm going Good Time. I really... Wow, okay, I, awesome. I'm really high on this film. Um, and it, it continued to rise in my favorite films every time I watched it, which is why I'm content with it being number one. That's perfect. I mean, there's so many out there. And I think For me sure. leaving off Good Time doesn't... It does not me saying that I don't like Good Time or that I think it's yeah. bad. I just... There are so many great movies that take mm-hmm. place in a day. This was a hard list to compile, and, and you, Dad's Magnolia. Facts. I didn't even think Magnolia was uh, one day, <laughs> but it is. You totally is, and yeah. I just forget because it's a little bit longer of a movie. Oh man, I, I almost want to like go back now and research more. I'll probably like I'll text you. I, I fucked up for Here's sure. What I missed. <laughs> I'll send you more more lists. Yeah. Um. All right. Last thing I want to talk about before we mm-hmm. we end for the day. Okay. Uh, this is the A24 April. We are talking about sure. A24 movies. I'm currently ranking my top 30. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not going to list mine, but I want to okay. hear your four favorite A24 films. My top four? Your top four A24 movies. Okay. If possible. If possible, yeah. Now, there's so many of them. Um, I've only seen like two that I legitimately don't like. Um, so like, I just want to give a couple honorable mentions here. So Spectacular Now, I love, oh, Cl- love Climax, I love Lady Bird, I love The Lobster, Killing of the Sacred Deer, I love those films, love, love, love them. But at number four, I'm going Moonlight. It, it's an undeniable film. Uh, yeah, it's just agreed. so masterful. Uh, I mean, to, to be honest, with any anyone that doesn't have it in close to their top five is... I don't know. I just said something's wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, I agree just, 100%. It's yeah. weird to see a list and if Moonlight's not in anywhere in the mm-hmm. top five, seven. It's like, did yeah. you watch Moonlight? Like, it's undeniable how good and how important it is. Totally agree. Number three, I'm going High Life. Um, I mentioned it previously in the Pattinson performances, but I genuinely think it's a sci-fi masterpiece. It's a, oh, one of my okay. favorite films. I love it. And then uh, another sci-fi masterpiece is uh, Under the Skin, um, oh. one of the first A24 films actually I believe it was in their first year or two of the, the studio existing Scarlett Johansson uh, it's her best performance it's unreal and kind of like Good Time how they use real actors or real people um, yeah. with hidden cameras and stuff like that you know obviously they would get their permission later and stuff like that but this the, the filmmaking journey of that Jonathan Glazer uh, it's just a masterpiece masterpiece of a film number one uh, it might be predictable at this point but I'm going Good Time Uh, it's the one that i continued it was the 1a24 film i continue to crank up every so often and so i'm surprised no tusk on your list what happened we had uh you know tusk is zero tusk is zero good time is one (laughs) so yeah tusk is uh it's just too good to be put on any list yeah it's it's not fair to cinema um (laughs) the longer i talk about tusk you know it's it's just unfair to other other films. It Martin is Scorsese is shivering in a corner uh, <laughs> at Kevin Smith's opus. Uh, magnum opus, or is yeah. that how you say it? Magnum opus, yeah. That's yeah. great. Oh, man. Uh, I, I almost want to do a Tusk episode just so we can just <laughs> laugh and talk about it all day, but maybe uh, we'll save it Maybe for if I'm like... drunk, I cannot be sober for that. <laughs> I don't want to be sober while I'm watching it. That's no. Sure. Well... Pretty great list. I love all of those films. Like you said, a lot of honorable mentions because there's so many just heaters mm-hmm. in the A24 filmography. Absolutely. Um, I'll be getting to my top four probably towards the end of the month, and uh, all right. you know, uh, hopefully I'm excited we'll be back to see it, and we'll talk about it for sure. Um, but we have now reached our conclusion. All right. Final thoughts on Good Time. I know we we've gushed and talked about how much we love yeah. it. Any any takeaways? Any final thoughts before we for sure. close um, out? 
I don't have this, you know, long soliloquy uh, like I did for <laughs> Heat, but um, I just, I love how tactile Good Time is. I love just the pacing of it, the energy of it. It is so just infectious and it, it really is like a, a drug. You feel like you're in a fever dream when you're watching it. You, you can't focus on anything else. It's one of the few films where like I literally never check my phone. My attention never wanes. Uh, it's basically kind of, a love letter to Cassavetti's style of filmmaking, um, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, major influence on this film too. But um, I, I think it, I just think it's masterful. I love it. Perfect. You said I don't have a long soliloquy, and you you go off and give me a, okay. a, a eloquent and and beautiful <laughs> soliloquy. So I think you're just okay. Well, joshing me at this. It wasn't point. as long as Heat. It wasn't <laughs> as long. Okay, <laughs> a fair, short soliloquy. That's great. Yeah, I mean. This movie just kind of reinforces uh, Pattinson's just star power, his talent, mm-hmm. and I, I'm really happy to see him kind of move on from oh, yeah. that Twilight phase of his life and kind of sure. break out of that that barrier. And him and Kristen Stewart, both extremely talented actors and mm-hmm. actresses, and um, I'm, I'm happy to see both of them kind of breaking that barrier. You know, it was what it was back then, and it, and I'm glad that. Uh, we're seeing their talent now. Absolutely. Um, but other than that, yeah, thank you again for coming and joining the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. Um, Anytime. You'll be back soon. I think May. I think I've dubbed okay. it MCU May, so you'll be back Ooh. for an MCU movie. All right. So yeah. Excited maybe we'll about talk that. Infi- Infinity War or we'll talk uh, Incredible know. Hulk. Uh, probably not. Neither of those. Probably, you know, the best film, uh, Thor the Dark World is over. Thor the Dark man. World. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Actually, you know, on my letterbox, I have uh, Iron Man two ranked last. That was, okay. Uh, well, I mean, those two are also my last two. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that conversation more in the in the coming weeks. But Nate, Sounds as good. always, thank you for coming to join again. All right. Please make sure to follow Nate on uh, Instagram at All Things Reviewed for some yep. excellent film content. Come to my page for a good time. For a good time, exactly. There you and, go. And uh, follow us on tiktok on twitter and on instagram at house of cinema i'll be back next week thank you guys see you later take it easy